part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter 5, we're going to be finished up in the next two weeks, as I said. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one, maybe not directly in front of you, but kind of around you somewhere that looks like this. And uh, you can, it's on page 1206. So if you want to get that out so that you can kind of follow along with us, uh, as much as I like putting the, the scripture up here so that we can see that, uh, there's something about being able to read the context. I hear from people all the time going, yeah, you were preaching about this, but then I look back on verse 3 and, and this, and, and that just added to your study. And so we want you to be able to do that. If you don't have a Bible at home, or it's old and it's maybe hard to read, please take this. Just open it up and put your name right there in the middle. In fact, somebody just, I think somebody put whoever. Uh, they actually wrote that in the, in the front of the book here. So, uh, But, uh, you know, put your name in there. Take that home. That will be your Bible. We would love for you to be able to study with us a little bit later on. Guys, one of the things that we always want to be with God's Word is just very transparent because it truly is one of those things where we can sing a song like that and we can be encouraged in our heart, and, and we can know that it's true. And yet, when we're going through the crucibles of life, it truly is hard at times to be able to see hope in a place that's really, really dark. And I think one of the most authentic things about what God has called us into is not to be these blind people of blind faith. He's called us to be people of faith, but it is not a blind faith. I heard somebody one time said, you know, I just think that God has called us into blind faith. I said, no, there's nothing blind about it. We have the word of God. We have the very spirit of God. And we have the life of Christ to show us the way. Now, is that really relevant to the problem that we're going through today? It is. Is it the final answer? Well, in a way, yes. But does that help all your troubles go away? It doesn't in that immediate moment. But folks, please realize that God has not called you into blind faith. We have so much to build up this childlike faith. We have so much of God's evidence in his word and his spirit to encourage us that the last thing that we're called to do is be people of blind faith. We're we're called to be people of faith, and the Bible goes on to say, be people of great faith. But that great faith is because we've placed in the right place. And so understand this morning that uh, your, your life may be one of those that's in the shambles, and, and yet there's an ability for us to truly still be true, authentic, and transparent and sing that song even if we really don't have the emotion that backs that. And I think that's what we see today as Peter begins to finish out this letter that he wrote to the churches across Asia Minor. Remember, this was a floating letter. This was a letter that he wrote, and it was intended to go to a lot of different churches. And so it wasn't just like the book of Ephesians that's going to Ephesus, and then other people may have read it. This was going and floating around to a lot of different churches. And yet all these churches had one thing that pretty much was in common with the other churches, and that is that they were facing persecution. And we've talked time and time again about how the Roman government, perhaps Nero, maybe the the emperor right after him, was really taking their lives. And this was serious stuff. This was an inconvenience. For some, it actually meant death. And so this suffering was a lot based on theological purposes and beliefs, but he's also talking at, throughout the, the, the letter about just suffering in life. And as we come to a conclusion, as he comes to a conclusion, we begin to see him kind of coming now into how do we deal 
with this suffering. Look at verses 6 and 7. This is going to be our text for the morning. And again, good practice comes from good theology. I will never apologize for being a theology nerd because there's days that I do not feel it. Extreme days where you do not feel it at all. In fact, if you feel anything, you feel just the opposite. And the only thing that gets you through is, okay, here's what you said, God, and here's the theological truth. And there is nothing in my mind and my ability that's powerful enough to change what you've already accomplished. And so this is just where I'm going to rest. I, don't even, I can't even grab onto it right now, but I'm going to try my best to rest here. And this is the context of what Peter writes to the churches. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. The reason for sound theology is because it leads to sound living. It's the truth that we need in the darkness. I mean, when everything is smiling upon you, I'm not saying that we don't need theology on those days, but, you know, there's enough evidence, you know, when you go out there and just your life is going great. Ever have one of those days? Because oftentimes we don't have two or three of those days straight. But everything's just going right. And you're going, God is good. And we could sing that song and it just, the birds are singing that song. And it's like a cartoon or something that we're walking through, and it's like, okay, God has just paved the way. But that's not all of life. It's on those darker nights that, that we see God's truth, and we need to know that we have this, this basis of truth to lead us so that it goes beyond a wish. It goes beyond a, a, a fable, a story that maybe was told. More than just a moral truth, that we kind of get and then we go out there and try to apply. No, it's truth that we know is definite in the darkest of nights. Qu- quick review of the context. Um, Peter is addressing the, these, the suffering of the believers. He gives them no assurance of, uh, of a temporary delivery. Nowhere in this are you going to say, okay, by next week, all of these problems are going to be gone. He doesn't say next week, next month, next year. He does promise that in the big span of things, of eternity, that everything's going to be remedied through the hope and the finished work of Christ. But he doesn't really give us a hope that if you long, hold on long enough, that it's going to work out. you just got a couple more days. It's like I'm going to date myself here very much, but there's going to be a couple other 70s people here that uh, grew up in the 70s. Remember the poster the cat is hanging on? Hang on, Friday's coming. Okay. That's actually, you know, in one way, that's the exact opposite of what he's saying here in the sense that, okay, by Friday, the weekend, you know, all the troubles are going to be over. No, he says, okay, only in eternity do we have the hope of some of these things being remedied. Now, he never says that your problems and your situations aren't going to work out in in the the meantime. He never says, okay, you have to wait to eternity. So here's the thing. Here's the, the big kind of hurtful, confusing thing. Christian A's over here, prays, comes down and gives it all to God and kind of believes and a week later has a story of victory. You know, you're talking about a, a hurt back and they can say, man, I went out dancing last night and I'm not even hurting this morning. And they can say, you know, all these things happen. I know in a Baptist church that's kind of like, what did he just say? <laughs> that's okay, that's okay, all right? And, and they're just saying, and you're going, good, you know, you, 
You're able to go back to work. You're able to do this, this, and this. The problem is, there's Christian B over here and says, okay, for three months I've been praying, for three years, maybe even for 10 years or 12 years, I've been praying for my marriage to be repaired. I've been praying for this to happen. Whatever the case might be, and they're still waiting. And it's really hard sometimes because we are people of comparison. And sometimes the only thing that we're left up in our, in our mind, and don't believe this lie, don't let this lie grasp your heart or your mind. Well, I guess that person was just more faithful than me. I guess God just loved them more than he loves me. Do you realize that God loves you at 100% capacity? There's nobody in here that's 99. There's nobody here at 51%. That God loves you completely. That when it comes to God's love, that every one of us are are equal in, in line here. The line's not going this way. It's this way. God proved that love in Christ Jesus. And yet one of the lies that can come into our mind very, very quickly when Christian A is getting answers to their prayer and Christian B is not is somehow it's all my fault or God just doesn't love me as much as this one or or whatever. And it's a believable lie. It's a believable lie. Why? Because we have evidence. They're going out dancing and we're in the middle of the night and the husband hasn't come home or the wife hasn't come home and we've been praying for 10 years. And so that supposed evidence all of a sudden starts to make a case in our heart and mind about not just our fate in life, but the character of the very God that we say that we serve. And so Peter's trying to kind of settle all this, and he's made no promises that anybody's going to get a direct answer today or tomorrow except for this eternal truth that he doesn't give any uh, false assurance uh, of anything except for this, God's grace and God's care. He gives every assurance of God's grace and God's care, even if he doesn't work out the situation, even if the husband or the wife doesn't come home, even if the bad back doesn't get better, even if the prayer for sickness for the child doesn't eliminate the sickness. He says, but I'll give you grace and I'll give you care. That I will assure you of. And this is where bumper sticker theology stinks, guys. This is why we don't want to take a phrase we don't want to take a little bumper sticker and just kind of put it on there without understanding the, the wealth of it. Because the bumper sticker only makes sense if you're Christian A and the sun is shining and the birds are singing. And it does not make sense. In fact, it is the most hurtful. It's, it hurts like razors upon you when you're Christian B and you've been praying for the husband or the wife or the child to get better or whatever it is and, and it's sleepless nights. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting your, all your anxieties upon him. He cares for you. Sometimes we, uh, we've gotten quite lazy in our practical theology. Well, honey, you just need to go down to the altar. You need to take that to the altar and leave it there. And is there truth in that statement? Yes. Can it be rather simplistic to a hurting person? Yeah. I can guarantee you there's great truth. And we're going to see today that, that he says exactly, he says, man, you take the altar, you bring it to God, and you leave it there. In fact, it's the very thing that he's telling us to do. And yet, without the understanding of the attitude and the assurance that he packs around that 
imperative, then it goes off very hurtful. The command is there. We're going to see that he says, man, you cast it. You cast all your anxieties upon him. The, the command is there. But before it, he gives us actually the attitude that we come with. And then afterwards, he gives us the, this uh, assurance of why we can do that and why it matters. And so this morning as we begin to, do the, uh, to look at, we're going to look at what, what is this casting? And let me go ahead and give you the three uh, kind of points. I don't always you know, preach in points. Sometimes uh, I do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's alliterated. That is, everything starts with the same letter. And I'm quite proud of myself when it does. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Even if you force a word in there, it has nothing to do with the sermon. Hey, but they all started with the A, okay? This one, this one actually preaches itself, okay? It's the action of casting. We're going to see in just a second, what is this casting, okay? And here's the three points. Just tell you up front. The action of casting, the attitude of casting, and the assurance of casting. This is what Peter is writing. This isn't Bobby's points. This is really what the scripture is going to tell us. So what is this casting? Now remember that Peter is an old fisherman. And I doubt for the most part that he had one of these. He would have been done most of his fishing with a net. And he would have thrown that net off the side of the boat so that he could catch more than one at a time. And we see many occurrences that Peter, the one who's writing this, he's an old fisherman. That was his trait. That's what he learned from the time that he was just growing up. And casting to him would have probably been throwing this net out in the hope of catching fish. And yet he would have been very deliberate. He knew that there are some places you don't throw or cast the net, and there are other places that you do cast the net. Perhaps part of his calling was that day that Jesus comes along the shore, and they had caught nothing, and Jesus said, okay, cast over there. Okay, as far as really grounding him into his faith, and, and he's going, they haven't been all night. This, what does a carpenter know about fishing? And yet, do you remember the end of that story, that true story? He cast over where Jesus says to cast, and they start to pull out the nets, and there's so many fish that almost the boat sinks. And it's one of those things. And so Jesus got this fisherman's attention because as much as he knew about fishing and casting, all of a sudden he found out that there was somebody that was supreme over his knowledge. So what is this casting? We think of this. I'm not going to do it in here because I'm just bad enough to where I can probably get you. And uh, we don't need somebody's ear coming off this morning. But, but you know, if you cast out on this, uh, you know, the, the whole thing is you cast out, you hope to, to kind of get a fish, and then you reel it back in. That's not the casting that Peter is talking about. Even though he's a fisherman, he's not, that's not what this word means. Um, in this context, it's just the opposite. It's putting something out there and leaving it out there. This word that he uses here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, about casting, is only used one other place in the Bible. You might say, well, Bobby, I've, I've read the word casting a whole bunch. They cast their nets because it's a different Greek word. And the one thing about the Greek language is pretty particular. You know, five different words for love. So when they say love, you have to say, okay, what kind of love? Eros, phileo, agape? You know, there's different kinds that, he, that they have. And it made, it made it much more clear and specific. The word casting here is only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's used in Luke chapter 19, verse 35. 
And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks. Now, I know it doesn't say casting, but it's the same Greek word. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Anybody know what that story is in the context of? Jesus is about to go where? Jerusalem. It's final days. And he says, go out and get this colt. And when you find this colt, and it's going to be there, I promise you, you're going to find this colt. Take that colt and then bring it back, and then I'm going to ride in on that colt into Jerusalem. And the word casting there, even though it doesn't translate in, you know, the ESV to that word, it's the same Greek word. And basically, it's when they took the, the blankets, and they took those blankets, and they put them on the back of that colt. And then they put Jesus on that colt. And when they put him on that colt, he, he then rode on to Jerusalem. Well, Bobby, what's the difference, okay? One's a blanket and one's a rod and reel. The difference is this. This you use and you cast out and then you see how patient you are. How many of you are fisher men or women? How many of you have cast out and waited at least an hour before you reeled in? Greg, you really have? Are you just crazy or what, man? What do you think the longest that you've ever been where you were actually on one cast? You cast out and before you reeled it back in. Wow. You fell asleep or? Okay, okay. Cleve, did you say that you did? Okay, catfish. And, where you're, just, and you're just waiting. You're patiently waiting. We all understand that. Matt, how, how often do you wait between casts if, you're, if they're not biting? I didn't think so. <laughs> the stories I've heard, you know, nothing, shh, cast again. Well, here's the, here's, the, here's the picture, guys. Here's the picture. Most of the times that we cast our anxieties upon Christ, we're using a rod and reel. Man, we come down on a Sunday morning and we pray, and maybe even by Monday morning, if not by Saturday, uh, Sunday afternoon, We've reeled that baby back in. We mean well, but it's hard. Especially when it has to do with your children. I mean, does does God really expect us to cast out and just leave it there until something bites? Yeah. Because he uses this word. And I don't think Peter was just right. He's a fisherman. If he's ever going to use a word about kind of throwing out and drawing back in, he's going to use the other word. But he uses this word. Place it there and put Jesus on it. You place it there and you put Jesus on it. And you keep it there. And I guarantee you guys, in the maturity of our faith, it's going to be one of the hardest things that you ever do in your Christian walk. We are rod and reel casters. Amen? We are not keep it there and it's secure in Christ casters. That is so difficult. That is so mature. And it's so very, very hard. And so what Peter does here, he says, okay, I know that's going to be hard because I know your temptation is cast it out there and if it doesn't bite in an hour, kind of draw it back in and cast another place. Since that's your nature as humans... I'm going to show you 
what kind of attitude you need to have to cast, like I'm asking you to cast, and then I'm going to give you an assurance so that when you cast that, you can walk away with confidence. And so that's what we find here. Psalms 55:22. The Old Testament passage, David writes this. David had some dark nights. He had some really bright, sunshiny days where the birds were singing, and he knew that God was good. He goes over there and chops off Goliath's head. Birds are singing. And he's going, God is good as he raises up Goliath's ugly head. He's feeling the victory. But there were so many sleepless nights in his life. Some from his own faults and his own sins and that were just kind of the results of that. And other times when just hardship came upon David's life. And look what he says, Psalms 55:22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you and he will never permit the righteous to be moved. This action of casting, Old Testament, New Testament word, is throwing, placing with a sense of leaving and not touching again. Just this week, a challenge of the sexes. We have some baby bunnies in our backyard. And unfortunately, I discovered them, but then I left them alone. And my wife, I found an article that says you can go pet them. (laughs) She was so worried about the mama not coming back and feeding those rabbits. And so those little bunnies, and they were cute, so she had to go check on them. And I'm not making for her because that's the mama's heart. She's going to check and make sure that they're okay. But really, you just cast it and you leave it. And yet the temptation, especially when they're cute little bunnies, okay, they're good. What, is, what about when it's your cute little kid? You mean really I'm just supposed to cast this to God and leave it there? hardest thing you'll ever do is trusting God when you've cast and you're not feeling the bite, you're not feeling the results, you're not seeing things happen not just in the immediacy but over weeks and months if not years. So what is this attitude of of casting? He says there in verse 6, look at it again. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Here's the attitude of casting. We're going to place it down into the three things that he says here. He says the first thing is this humility that he's talking about isn't not, you know, it's all shucks. You know, not that kind of humility. This humility that is understanding the mightiness and the holiness and the authority of God and that you're not mighty or the authority and you're certainly not God. That's what Peter's telling you. So the first thing that he says here is, Placing ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He uses the term mighty hand of God. It means that that we have submissive minds and hearts and wills. One of my favorite Old Testament stories. I loved it whenever a preacher would preach this when I was growing up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. Remember that? The old fiery furnace. And the part that I love the best is when they don't bow down and they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And Nebuchadnezzar, that king, says, don't you know I have the authority to turn you into a crispy critter? Don't you know that I have the authority to to burn you alive in the midst of that? 
and, and, and Bobby's version of what they said, okay? We know that. We recognize that you have some authority, but we also recognize that you are not the authority. And our God can save us even in the midst of that fire, but if not. I was always impressed with that as a young kid. I said, man, I want to grow up to be a but if not kind of Christian. Not a, okay, only if kind of Christian. Because sometimes we can be that only if. Okay, God, I'm going to follow you if you do this, this. In fact, here's my ground rules. If you're going to be God, here's the ground rules of what you need to do to be my God. And yet, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when faced with a certain death, or at least what certainly could have been their death, the guards outside that fiery furnace fried the minute they opened up that door. And, and, and yet they said, we know that our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not making a condition of our obedience on the fact that he's going to do this one thing. We will be obedient whether we survive or not. That is casting with humility. And it's hard to do, guys. To cast and leave it there without, okay, we're not going to reel it back in? Or we're not only going to be obedient if you do one of these three things, but truly being this but if not follower of Jesus Christ. Second thing that we see there is placing ourselves under God's timetable. Look again, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, where? Where's the place of humility? Under the mighty hand, not just under the hand of God, not just under God. He he uses an Old Testament uh, phrase that was kind of referenced to the Exodus when the Israelites came out of Egypt. Under the mighty hand of God. He uses that as a point of reference there. So he does this. And then the next thing, hand of God, so that at what? The proper time. Question, quick question. How many times has your timetable lined up with God's timetable? You would think every once in a while, a blind squirrel, you know, you would think every once in a while, man, we just kind of helped both hit 12 today at the same time. I found that I can't, I mean, I really can't think of too many times in my life that God's timetable and my timetable just happened to coincide. He's always been before me. He's always cleaned up after me. He's always been steadfast and patient during the time that I think it should be 12 o'clock. And he says, no, Bobby, it's it's actually still 11.50. It's not 10.30. It's not 9 a.m. So this attitude of humility to go and place something, to throw it, to cast it to God, and to leave it there is that, okay, I'm going to surrender under the mighty hand of God because I know that his ways are better than my ways. And number two, I'm surrendering, I'm, hum- I'm being humble by placing it under God's timetable. The Greek word there means in season. Mr. Bruce, been around agriculture all your life. There's a due season when you plant a crop, isn't there? And you're not going to be an effective farmer if you go out every week and dig up the, the ground and see if it's 
kind of, has it germinated yet? Is it growing yet? Really not going to happen. Tim and Julie just gave us some wonderful squash and zucchini. I mentioned that because if anybody else wants to be generous, you can do. And, uh, man, it was great. But it's due season. Due season. You didn't go out there two months ago, dig it up and say, okay, or, you know, try to take it off at that point. You don't reel in because there, there's an appropriate time, due season, when it's going to be fruitful, when it's going to be mature, when it's going to be ready. And another challenging part of the Christian life is that my timetable and God's timetable seem to always be not just different time zones. Sometimes I'm thinking he's Asia and, and I'm North America. And I'm going, you know, maybe that was a couple minutes off. And he says, no, it's already the next day here. Due season. And the third thing, placing ourselves under God's version of exalting. Because what's the last part of verse 6? That at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now, again, God has no reason to exalt us. This is a blessing. This is grace. This is his mercy and his kindness that he would even think about exalting us. But part of that exalting in this circumstance is is that he brings delivery to to this problem, this uh, uh, trial, this anxiety, this worry that we've now placed in him. In proper time, he's actually going to fix that, that he's going to bring exaltation or joy to that. He's going to exalt us that we could see the finished product. Here's the kicker. Never once, remember what we said, never once did Peter say that that would happen actually in this lifetime. And I don't know about you, but to me, humanly speaking, and I I think God gives me full ability to say this in humanity, in in my humanity, that stinks. I mean, it really does. Because it's one thing if God says, okay, in five years, because you can start counting down the days. If he's okay in one year, 365, 364, 363. You know, we can do the math. But when there's no promise that in this life that this is going to come about, how unfair. And if God really loves us, why would he not? Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. He's talking about his son, Christ. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When is this exaltation going to take place, guys? Did it happen in Jesus' lifetime? Did it happen after the resurrection in the 40 days that he's hanging up here before he ascends up to heaven? His own son... He says, man, your day's coming. Your day is coming. You're going to be exalted. And you're going to be seen for who you really are. But that day is not today. That doesn't mean that God is not going to work out some of your situations this day, this week, next week, next month, this year, next year. 
but what a terrible pastor I would be to you. If I made that promise to you, and a year later, two years later, three years later, you're still waiting for the husband to come back, for the wife to come, for the, the child not to be sick anymore. As I told some of the elders this morning, the only gospel we have is the gospel that is transferable into the darkest parts of Africa, into the coldest regions of Russia, where it can be truth no matter where it's preached. That's the promise of God. We can't go into the darkest parts of Africa and say, you know, you just believe and your life's going to get better and crops will grow and AIDS will just go out of your region and your children will live long lives. The only gospel we can take into the darkest parts of Africa, into the coldest regions of Russia, to any place in, in the underground places of China, is this. That Christ is Lord, that He saves, He justifies, He begins to transform our life, and He will never leave us or forsake us. And one day, there will be an exaltation. And it's not that all of a sudden Bobby's going to be there and there'll be, oh, you know, it's not, that's not going to happen. You know, the, the promise is that also exaltation is that I'm going to be right here and my Jesus is going to be right there and I'm part of his family. I'm his brother. That's exaltation, that we get to be part of the family of God. We get Jesus. And yet, if it's my child... If this is my marriage, I get it. I've done it. And yet the great call of Christ this morning is that we cast our burdens upon Jesus. And we take the heaviness of that and we just place it on him. He said, God, I want to take it back. I want to reel it in. And yet I leave it there. Last point this morning. Look how he finishes in verse 7. Casting all your anxieties, all your worries, all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He ends with an assurance of this casting. Because when we're not getting bites on the end of our rod and reel... We turn into a David. We turn into many others. We turn into a Job. We turn into so many other faithful folks. God, will you never care again? God, will you never show me your face? God, will you ever answer another prayer? God gets it, guys. And so how does he end this? How do we cast, leave it there, and, and not reel back in. Because he cares for you. You can cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Not that you can count on the answer that you want. Not that you can count on the time that you want. But you can count on this one thing, that he cares for you. And that's all I can give you this morning, hurting family. But that's all I can give you this morning. What seems little, and that, that's all I can give you in the midst of your pain and your difficulty and your anxiety, is that's all that I can give you. 
because it's more than enough because it's all based on what he's done. Not solving the problem, not really giving you a timetable, not doing this. And, and again, let's just call it what it is. From a human perspective, that stinks. It really, we don't like that. But I, I pray this morning that, that somewhere in our lives that we can come to these things and we can just lay it there and not turn it into this little bumper sticker. Honey, you just go to the altar and you just lay it there and you don't take it back up. No, that we don't reel in. That we just say, okay, God, I don't understand. I'm overwhelmed at times, but I do accept this one thing. You are Lord over all things. You know every need of my heart. You have already settled the score of my biggest challenge, my sin, and you've saved me, and, and you care for me. You care for me. And who am I that you would care for me? And yet you created God. You care for me. And you know my name. And you know the number of hairs on my head. You care for me. So God, give me the strength to leave it right there and not to reel in. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the hope of Christ. Father, thank you that we just we don't have to make up stories. We don't have to, to make up illustrations, Father. We can read your word and it jumps out at us this morning, Father. I don't have to come up with three points. You came up with three points. I don't have to be crafty and say, okay, let's start every one of these words with A. Father, you have given us these promises so that this morning we have something to sink our teeth into on the most sunny of days and in the darkest of nights. So we love you, Father. And I pray that maybe even this morning, Father, that, that you would call us to come to a place in our lives where we just don't cast out with the rod and reel, but, Father, that we take our anxiety like this blanket, and, Father, and we just we, we put it down, and we put it on you and your promises, and we leave it there. And, Father, the temptation will come to reel it in when we don't feel a bite. And in those times, Father, may your grace be sufficient for us to trust in your character instead of our circumstances. We love you and we thank you as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.